رحمان الرحیم ریڈیو رمضان 87.7 ایف ایم سے پروگرام ریفلیکشنس میں ہوں آپ کا ہوسٹ زبیر اکرم اور میرے مہمان ہیں شیخ رضوان محمد ٹوڈے 23 اف رمضان گلاسکو افطار از گن ٹو بی ایٹ ایٹ ففٹی ٹوڈے ٹین ٹو نائن انشاء اللہ سو ول بی ود یو فرام دس ٹائم آن ورڈز انٹل افطار ٹائم ایٹ سورت الروم Thirtieth Surah of Quran. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we've had twenty-two sittings, um, understanding the various threads of meanings uh, within uh, this uh, surah, uh, spanning right from the historical uh, perspective of Romans and Persians to um, civilizational issues and how to recognize Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. through his signs uh, which are scattered on this earth uh, through contemplation and through experience and traveling uh, so some of the f- few some of the themes that we have discussed in this surah inshallah today's ayahs uh, 42 onwards uh, we'll listen to the recitation and we'll have a comment from sheikh rizwan after that بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم In the name of Allah the entirely merciful the especially merciful ومن آياته أن يرسل الرياح مبشرات وليذيقكم وَلِيُذِيقَكُمْ مِنْ رَحْمَتِهِ وَلِتَجْرِيَ الْفُلْكُ بِأَمْرِهِ وَلِتَبْتَغُوا مِنْ فَضْلِهِ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ And of his signs is that he sends the winds as bringers of good tidings and to let you taste his mercy. And so the ships may sail at his command and so you may seek of his bounty. And perhaps you will be grateful. وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِن قَبْلِكَ رُسُلًا إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِمْ فَجَاءُوهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَانْتَقَمْنَا مِنَ الَّذِينَ أَجْرَمُوا وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا نَصْرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And we have already sent messengers before you to their peoples, and they came to them with clear evidences. Then we took retribution from those who committed crimes, and incumbent upon us was support of the believers. 
الله الذي يرسل الرياح فتثير سحابا فيبسطه في السماء فيبسطه في السماء كيف يشاء ويجعله كسفا فترى الودق يخرج من خلاله فإذا أصاب به من يشاء من عباده إذا هم يستبشرون It is Allah who sends the winds and they stir the clouds and spread them in the sky however he wills and he makes them fragments so you see the rain emerge from within them and when he causes it to fall upon whom he wills of his servants immediately they rejoice وَإِن كَانُوا مِن قَبْلِ أَن يُنَزَّلَ عَلَيْهِم مِن Although they were before it was sent down upon them, before that in despair. Sadaqallahu Ladim, ye ayati surat room ki tarjuma kuch is tarah se ki uski nishaniyo me se ye hai ki wo hawaein bhejta hai bisharat dene ke liye aur tumhe apni rahmat se behramand karne ke liye. اور اس غرض کے لیے کہ کشتیاں اس کے حکم سے چلیں اور تم اس کا فضل تلاش کرو اور اس کے شکر گزار بنو اور ہم نے تم سے پہلے رسولوں کو ان کی قوم کی طرف بھیجا اور وہ ان کے پاس روشن نشانیاں لے کر آئے پھر جنہوں نے جرم کیا ان سے ہم نے انتقام لیا اور ہم پر یہ حق تھا کہ ہم مومنوں کی مدد کریں اگلی آیت ہے کہ اللہ ہی ہے جو ہواوں کو بھیجتا ہے اور وہ بادل اٹھاتی ہیں پھر وہ ان بادلوں کو آسمان میں پھیلاتا ہے جس طرح چاہتا ہے اور انہیں ٹکڑیوں میں تقسیم کرتا ہے پھر تو دیکھتا ہے کہ بارش کے قطرے بادل سے بادل میں سے ٹپکے چلے آتے ہیں یہ بارش جب وہ اپنے بندوں میں سے جن پر چاہتا ہے برساتا ہے تو یکا یک وہ خوش و خرم ہو جاتے ہیں حالانکہ ان کے نزول سے پہلے وہ مایوس ہو رہے تھے دیکھو اللہ کی رحمت کے اثرات دیکھو اللہ کی رحمت کے اثرات کہ مردہ پڑی ہوئی زمین کو وہ کس طرح سے جلا اٹھاتا ہے اور پھر یقیناً وہ مردوں کو زندگی بخشنے والا ہے وہ ہر چیز پہ قادر ہے اور اگر ہم ایک ایسی ہوا بھیج دیں جس کے اثر سے وہ اپنی کھیتی کو زرد پائیں تو وہ کفر کرتے رہ جاتے ہیں صدق اللہ العظیم السلام علیکم شیخ وعلیکم السلام و رحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ so we had a, a, a very good uh, at Radio Ramadan we had this um, manifestation of Ahlan wa Sahlan last night <laughs> Alhamdulillah there was lots of uh, Ahl that we welcomed last night Alhamdulillah 23rd night and uh, people missed you here uh, if you were here uh, we would have celebrated even more Alhamdulillah so Radio Ramadan has had the completion of uh, the 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 payment plan, if you like, Alhamdulillah. So the building is owned by the Radio Ramadan fully. And the plaques are up uh, with people's names. If you remember, we did 99 names of Allah. Mm-hmm. And some people sponsored each name or sponsored or kind of like, you know, associated themselves with a name. Uh, so the names are up, uh, the 99 names window, and also the tiles are up. 
they're beautifully done. Uh, they were done in Istanbul uh, at a very nice place. So we got them here. Alhamdulillah. So there were a lot of people. Um, yeah, ahlan wa sahlan. That reminded me of that. <laughs> so ahlan is welcome to my family. Sahlan and may Allah makes things easy for you. Yes. And may you be at ease in, in coming into the house, so specifically to do with the house itself. May you yeah, make this house your own, basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah okay. So when we say in English, feel at home, feel at your home. home. Yeah, feel, feel at home. home. I was looking for that phrase, yeah, feel at home. Mm. Yeah, 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 important. So uh, winds, um, there were winds yesterday, uh, winds is the basis of economy and economy is the basis of power um and economy has dictated how history has panned out mm-hmm. or the sea routes have dictated how the sea routes have, uh, of sea routes have dictated how nations have had their rise and fall as well mm-hmm. yeah so sea routes are an important thing how people or nations rise or they fall trade is important yeah so trade um in in the way that it developed in the 18th 19th century was fueled by um sea routes so the advantages that countries gained civilizationally and um, was almost inextricably tied in with um you know command of the of the ocean um routes and so the sea routes to, you know, through the Panama Canal, for example, to, to the New World, or whether it's around, you know, pass instead of passing by Cape, you know, um, Cape Town in South Africa to get to, to Europe from India, you could go through the Suez Canal, you know, and, you know, instead of using land routes to, you know, um, kind of distribute food stuffs from the Black Sea region, you could use the Bosphorus Strait. So they were all reasons for um, power and and economic um, strength, and the economic strength, and obviously um, created military strength and power, and and then and then it just happened that that was when international um, organizations and treaties were being drawn up, and obviously if you're engaging in a in a discussion and negotiation over a, a treaty, the more powerful will have more say, and therefore at the moment that we were setting up global rules of trade, of commerce, of war and peace. It was a certain small number of groups, like the you know not the Security Council, but the the um, the kind of the, the kind of main players in, in the United Nations, for example. They were you know based upon population, but also economic power. So you know people think it's insignificant that Allah mentions the riyah, hmm. the the winds and the movement of the winds being used by ships. But essentially, you know that's probably the biggest. I would say the biggest contributor to progress and the utility of that utilization of that was the biggest indicator of a country's prowess over the last two centuries mm-hmm. so i mean the quran doesn't stop to amaze in the way that it just mentions in passing something but ties it obviously into this idea of um you know that's thing again of of so you seek out god's plenty god's plentitude and god's um surplus that is there, almost as it's saying that trade is a way of getting into contact with the surplus of 
um, you know, resources that can be traded and passed on mm. and create wealth. Well, it's up to, I mean, this is important. You said you seek out and this is exactly, you know, it's a reminder again and again, the balance between understanding that Allah's mercy is the only variable that gives people sustenance, but then you seek out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you toil, endeavor, but at the same time, you uh, it is not because of your um, endeavors, it is because of Allah's mercy. It is His fadl whenever He gives you. Yeah, so, I mean, the risk is set, and as He gives you it, He gives you it based upon His, you know, com- compassion and based upon His generosity. But then the only thing you're asked to do is seek out your resources and you know livelihood but your choice is between good and bad it's, it's always between um, something that's ethical and unethical so that's where it inter- becomes interesting is because you know you're going to get it but it's a question of how you get to it and that's why you know you can't just say well it's written so it's going to come to me mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to come to you but it depends how it's going to come to you you know is it going to come to in a way that you chose it to be a good income or a bad income you're going to have mm-hmm. blessing in your income, or you're not going to have blessing. So, it passes, it passes the passes the area um, of responsibility onto the human being themselves. So it's quite interesting. So, so the quantity is also given. Um, it's the route that you choose. Yes, yeah, it's the route. I mean, it's there. You just decide whether you go left or right to get it. It's still, going to be there at the end. Yeah. So you can imagine well, like there's well, lots of pots of your risk ultimately in lots of different places. And each road you take and route you take is going to end up with the same fadl. Because remember, risk is what you use and benefit from. And so that's, hmm. you know, essentially, you can't run away from your risk. I want to So we give it to you from where you don't even, you won't even uh, imagine that you will be given the risk from. It happens in, in practical life, Sheikh, that you are trying hard in one direction and you never get results mm-hmm. but where you get results from is not where you've tried mm-hmm. uh, will that explain this ayah that we give you from where you have no uh, inclination of getting from yeah so so this idea of that God will give you risk from where you don't imagine imagine yeah um, you know, the imagination of you is where you plan it. So you plan it, obviously, and you put things in place to exploit a specific um, market, for example, or you go to a specific place to get a fare, mm. um, and it doesn't happen. Somebody else jumps into a taxi, whatever it is. It, the whole point is that risk is a very strange phenomena. Mm. And you mm. can make you can make steps to increase your ma'ash, your wealth, and your income, basically. It's very mm. easy to do that. You can invest in specific places if you have the money to to increase it, and it'll give you a certain yield. You know, you can say, "Well, that's risk." It's not risk; that's just your income, because risk is essentially what you consume and benefit from before you die. Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. like why that's why we have to differentiate between different types of things that we gain. Mm-hmm. Um, before before wealth. we go on to the next ayah, uh, I've been kind of thinking about what you said about the comparison between. The, the evolution of Roman um, civilization, the, the law of contract and how it has mm-hmm. impacted 
the formation of companies and uh, the, the reliance of more on the patenting and um, collective um, effort of not relying on ownership, on, yeah, collective ownership, ownership as well. Collective ownership, not on people, not on families, but all actually uh, on on the, uh, the 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 name, the trademark, mm-hmm. and. For some reason, Muslim culture didn't encourage it, mm-hmm. or it, it didn't flourish there. Is that something which is intended and it got stifled along the lines as many other things? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's matloob, it's required, it's intended, and people should pursue that? So my, my personal my personal expe- um, understanding of it is that it was intended because the reason why I'm saying it's intended is because the effects of doing what the West is now doing is you've created massive conglomerations of companies with very little sense of, apart from growth and and, and paying back to the shareholders, no real sense of responsibility. And then they leverage that to create monopolistic practices and the power that companies have is such that they wield more power than most countries. And so I'm thinking, well, what's the benefit of that, apart from enriching a very small group of people? And the other thing about that is it creates massive conglomerations and, you know, you know, it creates massive pots of wealth that can be invested um, and can be up for, you know, being loaned out to endeavours that are essentially anti-human, like wars. You know, you mm. have to fund a war. How do you fund a war? You have to have massive multinational organizations and 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 funding groups and banks that can then bankroll the armaments that are then used to produce more armaments that are used to produce um, research and development at a certain point if, if you take it away from individual ownership and responsibility it does become like an animal that is essentially consuming the earth hmm. so people will say well this is why the west got ahead and we should copy them i would say so is the purpose of human life to create massive conglomerations of wealth in the hands of a few mm-hmm. so so that we can have our iphone 13 or something mm. so what's the what's the purpose of you know it's it's a big thing that you, most countries now are going through economic crises and difficult inflation and, de- and devaluation of currency and de- generally tightening the, the 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 budget of households so we we have to kind of think okay what's the purpose of you know a sound economy is it to create safety security um enough that it goes around this is the whole thing about communism socialism capitalism I mean, it, economy. Isn't, it, isn't the idea of excellence ehsan so whatever you do you do it well you, you take it to the hilt you take it to right to the uh, to its end you know yeah, yeah absolutely yeah but the thing is what you have to define what um ehsan is ehsan is in ehsan in creating a conglomeration of wealth in a way that never has never been seen is that the idea of ihsan so ihsan obviously the thing you're doing has to itself have a quality of goodness mm-hmm. like ihsan in building a hospital ihsan in in your own job you know so there's nothing against research development uh, innovation and all all these kind of things the but, but the, is, the, the, ma- the major idea is of scalability what's lacking in in muslim culture or islamic civilization is the concept of scalable you know, if if one thing could be done ten times, it can be done a million times, and hence you get Amazon. 
mm-hmm. it, it, it becomes scalable. So scalability does not come with family-owned companies or family-owned economy. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't. Unless you get finance from a, a large corporation or a, a funding group. Yeah. So is it not a neutral thing? It's, it's a neutral thing where how it's used is an issue. If it is not informing, if he is not informing us how to use the scalability, mm-hmm. is that's where it goes wrong instead of discouraging scalability. No, I think the thing about scalability is the moment you do scalability, at a certain point, you lose responsibility, like personal responsibility for, for decisions. So when you get massive corporations, where the where the end decision and responsibility lies becomes extremely cloudy because you know the, the CEO of the big big company will ultimately take responsibility, but the responsibility will be based upon the fact that all these all these policies they had in place were actually the decisions of other people, and um, you know it, it, it's not the same as a personal responsibility of a person who owns a family company, for example. Hmm. And so all that's connected into the whole thing of risk that, that you know, um, you know, the kind of whole passing of wealth through a family, through a community, through a, through a through a civilization. The the way that it does is it's there's there's things set in place that stop mon- monopolistic a- action, stop um, people taking advantage of the fact they have wealth through lending out and gaining interest, for example, mm. through contracts that have to be specifically focused on an individual person inheritance law which means that the distribution has to be concluded to the people that deserve it whether you think they're good or not all these are you know you could say well you know stopping the cap accumulation of capital which stops um big companies coming into being but then what's the problem with ha- not having a big big company hmm. so i think it's, it's a quick i mean from my my own perspective is that what's the problem in that so if muslim nations just want to become powerful so that they can bring the earth on the brink of collapse, then that's fine. No, but what's this? Masatatu. So you, um, yeah, yeah. What's so, the verse? Yeah, so you prepare for the masatatu. I mean, yeah. So the whole idea of preparing for them, what you what you can, from you know horses and and and, mm. and armament. Yeah. It, it does not fall in in that category of becoming powerful. Is is it required? Yeah, that's a good point. I would I would agree to that degree where, and this is enshrined in Islamic law, where you have to do it, not because you want to do it, but because you have to do it to survive. That's a different thing. That's then you're kicking in with principles such as you know, necessity permits makes what's impermissible permissible. Mm-hmm. So it's like the kind of idea of you know, the nuclear bomb, nuclear weapons, are by definition haram. You know, they're almost like there's no way of saying that as a as a as a weapon, which is indiscriminate in Islamic law, it is haram. Such in the same way that any medieval weapon that was indiscriminate in killing was haram. And the issue was that if the enemy uses it, then can you use it? So mm. you know, have all these in treaties on nuclear non-proliferation. They're based upon the fact that people, some countries do have nuclear armaments. And then other countries, you know, such as you know, in the UK, for example, the whole idea was that it was to create parity so that you would have a deterrent. Hmm. So that's got its pros and cons as well. But the point is, as a thing, as a weapon, and as most weapons are, modern weapons, they're haram. You know, so are, are we drawing a parallel that 
scalable economy, scalable enterprise is as uh, in the same category as we we should only have it as Muslim community because of pragmatism. Uh, this is the world we live in, mm. and we, we we need to be in the league of competition, so we'll have it. Otherwise, it's it's something which needs to be discouraged in, mm. in theology and in tradition and in culture. I mean, I would say that I'm beyond my um, skill set to make that kind of commentary because it, it is, yeah, you could say, well, it's to do with creating parity and we have to do it the best of, it's the best of two bad situations. And I personally think it, to try and mimic that kind of economy, um, you know, a franchise model, which is, you know, not just a small franchise model, which is in organic, but a franchise model, which is basically has no connection to the product itself. It's just a means of making money for shareholders. I think there's not much I could say that is going for that. And if we could move the economy away from that kind of model, it'd be much, much preferable, I think. Mm. Um, you know, so if you go to a Muslim country, they'll have franchises of McDonald's or Wimpy, whatever is Burger King on, yeah. or, you know, all these big, big companies. They'll, they'll have the franchise, you know, the Muslim franchisee. And, and, there, and there is this thing of once you create it like that, even... There's all these studies about the quality of the food that they like. Say, for example, just let's say fast food. The quality mm. of the food is so poor in comparison to normal food that's eaten in that country, even fast food of the of the local country itself. There's no comparison in terms of nutrition, in terms of value for money, all these things. But people still consume it because it's got this mark. You know, it's got this trademark or whatever. So I think you know we have to because it makes money for people, and mm. therefore we say, well, we should have our you know Burger King or Kentucky Fried Chicken, or whatever, in our own Muslim countries or societies, then you're just thinking, well, what about what's the alternative? The alternative is probably much healthier food. Mm. So I think you can you can multiply that onto different um, different areas as well. So I mean, it's one of these things that you know, in general, Islam puts into place things that stop monopolistic uh, transactions, unethical financial transactions as much as possible. It discourages the conglomeration of large amounts of wealth as well. Very clearly, if you look at inheritance, the whole idea is people, you don't give it to just one person, you give it to everybody. And that means power and decision-making is distributed. In general, as a society and civilization, I believe that that's how Islam has worked. Hmm. And hmm. I think we are now realizing the purpose of that. You know, if you look at all the discussions outside the Muslim community about big economy, big companies, unaccountability, economic degradation, all these things all comes back to the fact that we have massive conglomerations of wealth that wield so much power that democracies are essentially irrelevant. You can hmm. bring down any country on the basis of having a large leverage of finance and, and you know, liquid assets. You can bring out any country, country to its knees. You know, and that's the... That's what the, the history of the history of the last 40 years is that. I mean, the story of the last 40 years is exactly yeah. that in the Middle East. It is, it is. If you go beyond, you know, just individuals like Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi, behind it was economic issues mm. about banking systems and and access to local economy. That's essentially what was behind Libya. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of Muslims say it's because Gaddafi was a butcher and he, he most probably was and probably and I don't, most probably is. But the the reason why he was he was removed was because the West didn't want him to introduce a currency which was not um, based upon then, a Western banking system. Yeah, pretty yeah. obvious. That's like, and Syria was not part of the kind of the global 
banking um, infrastructure in the way that mm. other countries were. Mm. Now you would say, mm. well, that's just a this is a wee fact. It's not a wee fact. <laughs> if you if you think it's a wee fact, then you've got a big problem. If you think it's because people were demonstrating and the Ikhwan al Muslimin wanted him ousted and wanted democratic elections. Yeah, that's always been the case. But what was the changer? What was the the pivotal change? It was a, it was it was it was the fact that it clashed with Western interests. And the mm -hmm. Western interests are economic interests. Those conglomerations of wealth to create wealth and access to markets was feeling threatened, and that's why that happened. So the naivety in some countries sometimes true. is that, oh, we need to get rid of a dictator and let's you know rise up against the dictator. That's nothing in, in comparison to where the West is thinking, which is we need to get rid of him to make more money for our own um, multinational companies. Uh, reflections with Sheikh Razwan Muhammad, Surah Al-Rum. Uh, this was... Um... Kind of an offshoot of one of the ayahs, the 46th ayah of Surah Rum, 30th Surah of Quran. Uh, iftar today is at 8.50. Time for a short ad break and inshallah we'll be right back after this. Mere Rab Teri shan jala jala lahu mere rab Radio Ramadan 87.7 FM, uh, Reflections with Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad. I'm your host, Zubair Akram. Uh, just before the break, uh, we were discussing the effects of the scalable economy. Uh, and that's from uh, this uh, ayah. That, and his signs is that he sends winds to herald good tidings and that he may give you a taste of his mercy and that ships may sail at his... Uh, bidding and you may seek his bounty and give thanks to him and it's just an indication of how uh, you know you just taste the depth and the breadth of uh, of some of the ayahs of the Quran um, while we're studying them uh, we take it to mean something for us as individuals but we also want to know how these ayahs inform uh, us to uh, map them to the civilization that we live in and what is the required uh, commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to shape a civilization that Muslim uh, culture will be comfortable in and also which is um, uh, beneficial for humanity at large. Um, the next ayah, uh, Shaykh, is uh, وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ رُسُلُونَ Now this is 
for the next 20 25 minutes uh, i remember having a conversation with you about uh, you you were having a study that um many uh personalities that we know are prominent ones are not known to be prophets but they may be prophets mm-hmm. and some of the religions that we know which are known to be uh, not monothe- monotheistic religions but they may have roots in monotheism as well in tawhid as well mm-hmm. so if we read this ayah with that backdrop uh, ayah number 47 wala qad arsalna min qablika rusulan Yes, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. So the, I mean, the whole point is, Allah's, you know, this verse will come in the context of um, prophets. Prophets remind, remember, and actually it's, it's messengers, so rusulan. So it, it's an interesting, Allah says, وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ And it's saying to the Prophet, O Messenger of God, we have sent even before you um, many messengers, rusulan. This is like emissaries and people with messages. So rusul is like this idea of not prophet specifically, but a person who brings a, a specific command or a specific message to their people. Ila qawmihim. So it's this idea of, you know, so when Allah says ila qawmihim, it's almost as if each group of people we could have called a qawm, literally, which is a small conglomeration of peoples, you know, a people, you know, a small group. They all had, in some way, um, rusul sent to them, prophets or messengers sent to them. So the whole idea here is that it's almost like a universalization of the idea of guidance, which is that Allah does not forsake any human um, community on earth since the beginning of time. Hmm. So this is part is a is a manifestation of God's mercy in the same way that God, you know, the previous verses about, you know, Yursil al-Riyah, He sends winds. It's a sign of generosity, isn't it? If you think about it, you know, the fact that you send these winds and they have so much function and facility. But think of the facility in a wind. All the things we talked about is worldly benefit. If you hmm. think about it, it sends down water. It allows the the wind allows um, ships to sail, and it allows you to then have in, economic in, uh, income. Then you can say thank you. Okay. Hmm. Now the whole idea is this coupled straight away with this idea of Allah says that we've sent you know prophets to nations. Mm-hmm. So. Right, if you can see the correspondence, one is a benefit which is worldly, which is the winds bring worldly benefit, and the other thing about your human existence is that you have a soul, and you need some kind of wind which comes to you, which then brings with it all these facilities and benefits for your soul. Hmm. And so, in the same way that a wind is a benefit to our worldly existence, a prophet and the prophetic um, spirit is uh, a benefit to our souls. And so you can imagine all the benefits that trickle down from the fact that your soul is guided will be equal to the kind of, and more than the benefits that are created when Allah sends this. So every single community, you know, feels the benefits of wind, feels the benefit of the natural cycle of how the uh, ecology works. And every single human community equally finds the benefits of prophets and how they come to you and and guide you. So this Mm. is, for me, this is how these two verses link because one is a worldly benefit. In other words, the other one is a worldly, otherworldly benefit. The prophets, mm, messengers, mm, and they come to these people, to their own people, and so it's the other idea is that they come to their own people. It's not like a foreign emissary or prophet or messenger coming to a people and then, you know, as a foreigner telling them, you know, um, I tell you this and that. It's the people internally have a person from amongst themselves, as the prophet came from amongst the, the Arabs 
and the Quraysh from amongst themselves a prophet. And mm. so this is, tells you lots of things. I mean, the first thing is that people are enemies to what they don't know. So people will be an enemy towards a, a prophet or messenger that they didn't know or weren't aware of. So that indicates for me mercy as well, that God sends people to groups who they already know and they can naturally be amenable to and, and be close to. Mm -hmm. And as you said, that means that every single, there's no nation, as the Quran says, except they were sent a nadir, a, a warner, meaning a prophet. Mm. And so, you know, one of my teachers, Muhammad Abu Layla, Rahmatullah, he passed away actually um, last year, I think. Um, this is after last Ramadan, actually. Mm -hmm. um, he, when I, when I was studying Arabic with him initially, he was, he, I had a long conversation with him about um, philosophy and philosophers specifically. And he was of the opinion, because he'd done um, research on um, Plato and Socrates, he felt that Socrates was a prophet sent by mm -hmm. God to the Greeks. So he says there's nothing in what he said which ind indicates anything other than that he was a prophet sent by God. So, I mean, and that's the same with if you look at the religions in the subcontinent, for example, Hinduism, um, we can see s semblances of monotheism and the fact that they're corrupted is their own problem and that's the whole point of corruption and change mm. and people using it for their own benefits. You know, the whole idea in the, this chapter about Yushirikon, people that create, did, did shirk, was essentially they made decisions for themselves on how to use religion. And so this is another, another indication that God is beneficent and merciful with his sending of, of, of worldly benefits and what are the worldly benefits. Hmm. And so the whole point is, Faja'uhum, and they came to them, they came to them with very strong proofs, very strong evidences. So Allah says, And this was a means by which, you know, intaqamna um, means to take revenge, you know, against those that, you know, we're, we're wrong, we're, we're committing sins and committing crimes. So one of the things is, you know, you can imagine it's a community and there's people oppressing and God sends prophets with messages to take revenge against their these people for their their crimes. And so this is the kind of thing. So what's the crimes that could be against them? Against mm. people. It could be against the, 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 the ecology of the, of, the, of the place. It could be against God. All these are tied in some way. There's no way that you'll have shirk and it won't have a manifestation of oppression against people. So, you know, it's not just that shirk is just like a, a kind of a weird kind of, um, you know, kind of way of belief. So it's actually deeper. It has effects. Intiqam. So intiqam is quite a negative connotation to it. You know, intiqam yeah, revenge, is revenge. revenge, revenge. So Allah takes revenge? Yeah, I mean, revenge is what? Revenge is, as they say, revenge is sweet. <laughs> ah. So the whole concept of revenge is what? I mean, if you think of crime, crime and punishment is, is, is punishing a criminal not a type of revenge on behalf of the person who has been wronged against but the only difference is that you are you are um, you're creating a, a transparent model through which that works instead of just you know um, revenge in terms of a, the, the wild west revenge idea which is going around with a vendetta mm -hmm. and um, you know what they call is what's the word they use um, vigilantism mm -hmm. so intaqamna is just to take revenge is to you know to feed the person who has a loved one lost through murder, for example, 
they can't take their own revenge, but the state takes revenge for them. And so every crime that you see punished is, in a sense, the state acting on behalf of individuals to be the mediator to take revenge, in a sense. You can call it what you want, but revenge is a very um, strong word. It's a very strong word because of the mm -hmm. fact they must have done something that was very um, abhorrent in the first place. So revenge has a connotation of uh, compensation for one party. Yeah, I mean, it does, but it, it, revenge has this... It, it, revenge uses a word which in Arabic has a sense of personal, um, you know, it has this, a sense of personal action that is if you're doing it. So a revenge is a very much, you know, a very raw word in Arabic. Intaqamna, mm -hmm. intiqam. It's like and a personal... Allah's attribute called muntaqim? Al-Muntaqim, as you know, yeah, one of the one of the names of God as uh, the Avenger. In fact, mm. is there not um, like these kind of characters called the Avengers? Hmm. Are they not like is it not kind of glorified in Western culture that you have Avengers? And what are they avenging against? If I remember correctly, it's against um, some kind of Thanos character who's who wants to kill half of humanity to save the other half of humanity. And so the Avengers essentially are avenging his his sin or his his um, unethical behavior by, you know, taking him to task. Mm. So intiqam is like a natural requirement of human human species. If mm -hmm. you don't take intiqam, then you have festering violence, which just spills over and you don't know why it's happening. So Allah just says, look, the prophets are sent to sort out people that are doing juram. That's basically mm. what this verse is saying. Mm. Every community mm. Mm. has avengers, <laughs> if you want to use... You know, that term, every community has avengers sent by God to sort out people that are, you know, you know, acting wrongly. It seems mm. to be perfectly valid, you know, regardless of what you think of religion. And it was an, a, a deep truth upon us that we would help and aid the believers. So this is just like a simple cycle of ethics. There's people that act well. You do what they're supposed to do. Do not harm anybody. And there's other people that harm them, kill them, maim them, you know, loot their wealth. And God just says, look, we send prophets to clarify right and wrong. And by that means, you know, they are rectified and, and the people that are wronged are taken um, to task for that. And so this is this is this verse is stuck between these verses of the wind. So this is why I connected the two in the wind and his benefit to the prophets and their benefits. So then this is why Allah says, Allah riyah. It is God and God alone that sends the um, the winds. Fatuthiru sahaban and they create and start to compose um clouds. And then Allah subhanahu says that they then expand in the in the in the heavens. How God wants them to do it. And God makes them into small portions and small, smaller mm. parts of clouds. And once they do that, you you know they're ready for precipitation. So this is why Allah says, Fatara al-wadqa, and you see the the raindrops, yakhruju, you know, come out min from amongst them. In other words, it goes back to this natural thing of the formation of clouds that then spread in the earth, and then at a certain point they reach critical mass of condensation, and then what you see is wadqa. Wadqa is like a word in Arabic, which is not matar. Wadqa is like large, um, you know, a large conglomeration of, of, of water coming down. Mm -hmm. So so this indicates God's mercy. 
in the same way that you have prophets, you have natural causes as well. And then Allah says, فَإِذَا أَصَابَ بِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ And when this, you know, comes down to whoever he wants from amongst the servants, إِذَا هُمْ يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ And all of a sudden, as a result of that, they're really happy. يَسْتَبْشِرُونَ is like Bashara, this idea we talked about before. Um, you know, this the happiness that comes from the fact that this rain has come and it's, and it's aiding them in in their crops and their and their own provisions is a means of happiness. And even if they were before this, and there was another state they were in before this, you know, even though just before this, a few moments before this, before this rain had come down upon them, they were in, you know, a state of what you would call embellis, which is despair. Mm. So this this idea comes of you know, people are happy when something good happens, and but before that, they just ignore the fact that God is part of their life. And it's only when something good happens, they, you know, they give thankfulness. And when, when nothing happens, then they're just in a state of despair. They're not turning back to God in what we talked about yesterday, I think, was sabr. Mm-hmm. So this whole disconnect between how we act based upon, you know, obviously it's given example of rain and, and wind. But the thing is, the, the simple idea is that when God gives you something good, you're really happy, and then something difficult happens, you're just like in despair and, and despondent and have no engagement with God through patience. And that's, mm. it's giving them the example of what they knew. You can give yourself an example of whatever you know, but the reality is nothing's changed over the, the history of humanity. Mm. Uh, the way that we interact with God and his blessings and his tests has not changed. There's only two options, patience or, or thankfulness. And, uh, you know, we were talking about that yesterday. But this is why the, the examples that come are the same thing. Just repeating it because nothing new is coming in human history. Nothing new is coming in your experience. So Allah says, um, you know, فَانْظُرْ إِلَىٰ آثَارِ رَحْمَةِ Then Therefore, observe the the signs of the, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at how he, كَيْفَ يُحْيِي الْأَرْضَ بَعْدَ مَوْتِهَا How he enlivens the earth. After its death, you know, inna dalika lamuhilmota. Indeed, this is the one that um, brings life to the ones that are dead. qadir, and he's the one who has complete power and control over everything. The whole point here, I mean, as you know, Zubair, is that it's kind of it's giving a, a specific example to a society that understood the importance of water and rain. Hmm. And hmm. then the whole point is not the water and rain and the wind. It's the example. The, the whole point is how you relate to blessings and difficulties mm. and in the whole point it's saying is qadir, that know that he is power over all things meaning he's the power to bring the living to dead and the dead to living mm. he has the ability to bring you ease and hardship and he's all he requests from you is to see the test that you have is fulfilled which is patience and gratitude mm. Um, mm. in equal in equal amounts Mm-hmm. Sheikh, what's coming to mind is that there is um, a very strong underlying um, theme of wealth, economy, prosperity, um, sustenance, um, human life's reliance on risk. And yet we kind of like shy away from it it's not spiritual 
to be pursuing the worldly gains or mm-hmm. prosperity. Mm-hmm. So, and, and yet, you know, this this surah as well, uh, when it talks about many other things, but the major themes coming out is risk, major theme is economy, major theme is prosperity. How, how do we reconcile uh, the, the spiritual aspect of it? You have to kind of almost like refrain from it. Uh, you're not allowed to, or you're not allowed to. You you, you don't you you don't live it to your full in, in terms of making gains, uh, as as we call the non-believers will do, or as the modern world is doing. You you want to be engaging, but you don't. You kind of like your hands are tied. Hmm. Well, I mean, is it the fact that you you wanted to be your hands are tied? I mean. A risk is something you 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 go and search after as much as you can. I think I think this this is kind of I don't it's think it's a leftover. Upon. It's kind of frowned upon, right? Yeah, it's a leftover. It, yeah, it's a leftover idea. I think from something a a, a type of um, guilt. I think. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing I think about the the most purest thing I would think is that the the fact is that. Because of the neg- negative effects of wealth upon a person who can't control it, it's frowned upon. Mm-hmm. But in and of itself, it's a means of blessing. So it's like if you can get all away from the negative effects of it, which is arrogance, ostentation, pride, vanity, and you <laughs> you think well, there's nothing left. It's this whole list of mm-hmm. vices that are connected with wealth. The moment you have wealth, you feel you know you'll walk differently. I guarantee you'll walk into a room differently. You'll speak to different people differently. This is like the cliche of the person. The moment a person gets wealth, the exception is that they remain the same. The rule is that they just change their wardrobe, change their friends, change their social circle, change everything about themselves so they're unrecognizable. And therefore, of course, it's going to be frowned upon because the whole purpose of life is not to have wealth. It's to live a good life. It's like to be a good human being. So mm-hmm. that... You, you see in yourself what you would like to be in other people and vice versa. So when a person sees you, they would like to be you because that's a noble person. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why it's, it's frowned upon is because it was always normally associated with the fact that you end up throwing all kind of principles out of the window. But then if you don't, then you're probably in a situation where you're a, you're a, a kind of person who... It's like the prophet was given the choice between a king prophet and a slave prophet, and he chose to be a slave prophet. You know, in this famous hadith, the angel Jibreel said that that to the prophet that an angel will come to you and, and and give you permission to be an either king prophet or angel prophet. And the prophet requested advice, and the angel Jibreel said to him, ila rabbika ya Muhammad." He said, well, "You know, be humble for the sake of your Lord, O Muhammad." Meaning. His choice was going to be a slave prophet, because mm. it was a it was a means of showing that that is the better option for most people to be in humility. Um, but you know, if you're able to have the capacity to deal with wealth, then obviously the benefits of wealth for other people are great. Mm. Not just as an individual. I'm, I'm I mean, nations. I I just feel that Muslim nations are the way they are is because they've never taken economy seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, it, they haven't taken economy in a measured way. Um, mm-hmm. Either it's abject poverty 
or there are kings and there's nothing in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like, you mean, the thing about that is it's more about corruption and, um, de- you know, nepotism and lack of meritocracy. And, and so issues about governance and transparency and greed. Um, I think, yeah, the issue of economy is a bigger issue in terms of what creates wealth and how you deal with wealth. There is a, there is a civilizational problem with wealth, I think. Hmm. Um, and, and I think we, we have to kind of deal with that in some way. Like, how do you have... It depends. Large conglomerations of wealth are problematic. I mean, if Imran Khan was to be back in power again and you were his advisor... Mm. in theology religion economy mm. would we not say to him that you know get to a place uh, get get your nation to a place where they are comfortable and they don't have to rely on the, you know the international monitoring funds and the, mm-hmm. the world banks of your time and the reliance comes from a very point kind of economy which is uh, based on self-reliance and uh, not imports, but exports, but homegrown crops mm-hmm. and agriculture. Mm-hmm. But that would require an effort which is uh, on, on a very different scale, not the way it's done now. No, but the thing, yeah, I mean, the thing here is that, you know, the way that a country in, intera- interacts with other countries and builds an economy is based upon, you know, its currency, is based upon foreign reserves, is based upon, you know, the common medium currency that's used between nations so i mean the the i mean the current state of the economies is such that you know if you have a a global economy based upon the usual dollar and that's pegged with you know the the production of oil for example then you have to you have to struggle out of that because that's going to have a bigger bigger a bigger kind of um, impact on your country than just like you know being more productive economically hmm. So the way mm. that the system set, that's why I was saying about the system being set up and, you know, the trade routes in the past creating wealth and a conglomeration of wealth, which creates leverage, that creates power, that creates the ability for America to, you know, to, to kind of stipulate the kind of contracts that have to be signed. That's the kind of thing that you have to, you know, essentially, you know, come out of. And the way that you come out that out of that is first of all attack those kind of contractual obligations that you've been put into without your you know agreement, and the other thing is make your economy open enough and transparent enough that people invest in it. So one of the biggest things about internal economy that you know I was looking at this is that the thing that stops investors coming in is the lack of transparency in law mm-hmm. and lack of stability of the currency. That's like the two main things. So a legal um, system which you know will fight for you if you have right, the right on your hand rather than just mm, fighting for mm. the person that has more wealth like an open judiciary and then the other thing is just having a degree of um, stability in your currency and that's it but i guess the, the point i'm i'm trying to get at is that from the pulpit there is almost like a discouragement or there there is not enough mention of rabbanatina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana and there mm-hmm. is as as if having wealth or being uh, not rich but being affluent is a crime. Mm-hmm. It's like you know uh, the, the 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 picture that's painted of Prophet is that he was always in debt. He never had enough. Um, and you know if you if you have more 
slightly more than you need, you are not a good person. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's from the pulpit. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> then what, what am I supposed to do about that? I can't do anything about that. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so a complete otherworldliness, which is, I think, um, quite strange because the Prophet would make sure that all aspects of his community's welfare were, were looked after. And so all those things were of concern to him. Hmm. So to how you know when the Prophet arrived in Medina Nawara, he started to establish things that created wealth. Like he created a center which was a masjid, which was a social center as much as a, a religious center. Then the second thing he did was actually build a marketplace right next to the masjid, hmm. which was, you know, from the comparison I had was over over a kilometer long. Um, so that's a, a massive space for a market, if you think about it. It was empty when the Prosim set it up, it was actually empty because there wasn't enough people to come and use the, the marketplace. You know, mm. at the side of Baqi, at that side, it was essentially it was designated as the marketplace. Mm. And mm. the marketplace was so big that the people that were used to trade in the city had too much space. And the reality was the Prosim had envisaged that to be the center that would grow into being the marketplace of the city of the Prophet. And so things like that, I mean, that was to do with in, empowering and creating wealth so that Madinat Nawara would be this, this focal point that other Arab tribes would look at and say, well, how did he do that? Hmm. Hmm. You know, this, you know, and that's what caused people to come and swear allegiance as much as the teaching. It was the, the power of the community. The fact they came and visited, and as soon as they came, they saw all this economy, commerce, wealth. Do you understand? And so obviously people are envious and jealous and they're going to say well they must be onto something here and they'll just become muslim because of the fact that they think oh is that what happens when you become muslim you have a marketplace and people come and buy and sell hmm. so that's like an easy sell and unfortunately i think yeah part of the problem in a religious messaging now is that we we have no connection with how people live and people's aspirations about what religion should be and therefore the degree to which religion fulfills their needs hmm. You know, pulls them in and say, oh, I would like to do that. I was, you're a Muslim? Okay. I was, I was reading about, a, there's a footballer, a Portuguese footballer who's playing in Turkey, or he was playing in Turkey, and he became Muslim mm -hmm. because before he used to have this really strange haircut. I can't remember his name, to be honest. He was kind of Afro-Caribbean kind of background. He had like, I'm sure the listeners will know who it is if they know football. Like he had like orange hair, Afro hair, but it's like dyed mm -hmm. orange or yellow. And he had a funny goatee beard and he, he said it's one of the, the the kind of by chance he got transferred to Gal, I think Galatasaray and then mm -hmm. he said by coming to to to, to the city in this country he ended up you know finding out about Islam and then become Muslim mm -hmm. and so the reason he did it is because he saw things that made him think oh this is a, this is a, I would like this as well mm -hmm. the way the culture set up the way the people are society is he said oh I, I, I've always been looking for this and so one of the things that if, if in the pulpits we don't show people that what we have is what they want. Mm, mm, Not mm. like selling, mis-selling, you know, payment plans or something. You just like, it's exactly what it is. Then, you know, I think we miss the point of a pulpit if we don't make Islam enticing to people, even that people are in the, the mosque at the time. They should always go away thinking, Alhamdulillah, I'm a Muslim. Alhamdulillah mm. for this faith. You know, Alhamdulillah that I'm in this place rather than another place. You want them to feel that not feel that they've been battered by 
Tyson Fury. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not don'ts all the time. It's do's. Yes, because you don'ts. go imagine you come out thinking, "Oh, I was sore," and that was you know. I know, <laughs> I understand the purpose of shouting at people when they're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, the whole point is you know the carrot and the stick, you know, approach. You know, in a state of despair and, and dejection and hopelessness. Yes, yeah, so Allah says, look at the signs of the, the effects of God's mercy, how he brings life to the dead earth after its death. Hmm. And it's he indeed, only him who brings life to the dead and he has power over all things. So this is, you know, it's interesting. This interesting cycle of verses that bring to to mind what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants to impress upon us in this set of um, you know chapters. You know these chapters back to back are all about signs, all about mercy, all about God's testing. Um, you know, it's just to give us an opening experience of what Allah can do for us. Uh, we'll take a short break uh, because time um, allows us to have another short session of about 10 minutes after this break, inshallah. Ye zameen ye falak In se aage talak Jitni dunya hai Sab me teri jhalak سب سے لیکن جدا اے خدا اے خدا ہر سہر پھوٹتی ہے نئے رنگ سے ہر سہر پھوٹتی ہے نئے رنگ سے سبز و گل کھلے سینے سنگ سے جس نے کی جستجو مل گیا اس کو تو سب کا تو رہنما اے خدا اے خدا 87.7 today افتار is going to be at 8.50 p.m. um 23rd of Ramadan in Glasgow, Reflections with Sheikh Radwan Muhammad, Surah Al-Rum, 30th Surah of the Quran. Uh, we have, alhamdulillah, coming out almost to an end, to the end of this surah in the next few days. Uh, today is 48th, 49th, and now going on to the 50th ayah, the 60 in total, uh, Surah Rum. In the last few uh, minutes, 10-odd uh, minutes here of this Reflections program tonight, um, Sheikh We've uh, discussed the the connection of the winds, the economy, and the effects it has on the state of people. Um, and th- there is this contrast again uh, that we, we spoke about. Um, we, we had this, we've discussed in the surah that there is, there is day, there is night, there is life, there is death. And now what's coming is because of Allah's mercy, uh, you, you get um, people getting happy, uh, content, but then there is a feeling of despondency as well. They get despondent. Ayah 50s, uh, 
ان ذلك لمحي الموتى وهو على كل شيء قدير yes so this last verse number 50 which we kind of touched upon is is all about this idea of um you know, the fact that god gives and he gives in a way that you can you discern it and you can see it and you can experience mm-hmm. it so this is fundu ila athari rahmatillah so this is like you know saying observe analyze you know catch sight of these you know indications athar is like this kind of footprints or you know clues of the of the mm-hmm. mercy of god so this is an interesting way of, of of seeing something which is sometimes what is a blessing from god you you have to actually look a bit further and you have to look a bit deeper or you have to like be more observant to find out that it's there mm-hmm. because what most people see is they see the headlines and they see you know the effects of something and they don't actually sit back and just um do some kind of reflection upon it and then observe it and then analyze it and then see Oh, there's a there's a sign. There's a sign. There's an effect. You know, effect athar is like this small clue. So it's as if human mind is naturally just focused on its own benefit, its own pleasures, and its own um, distinct needs. And you know, it's only when it goes beyond that that it starts to look and and, and find things that are of wider importance to it. So this is why the words are interesting. Fandur ila athari rahmatillah. You know, look at the remnants or the clues of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala look at how it brings to life you know an earth which was previously barren brings it to life for indeed it is Allah because you know it's kind of understood that somebody's probably thinking it's not God it just naturally happens or whatever and it is this and this power alone that is the one that brings life to dead and has power over all things so I think from one perspective, it's just refocusing, I think, the mind to be more observant about how mm. the, the natural world works and not to just take it on their own experience of how they how they feel life is going. Mm-hmm. If, if you see what I mean, that's the kind of idea is that most people, if they're left to their own devices, will just miss the big, the big picture. So the idea is about the bigger picture rather than... Mindful? You know, you know, mindfulness, yeah, it could could be mindfulness, but you know, mi- mindfulness in and of itself is, is well, you know, it's, it's well researched now. Mm. Is actually a very negative quality. I don't know if you know. Ah, okay. Yeah, because there's, there's all this research. Because remember, like you know, every this is the whole thing about society. More society comes up with things, and it fills in a gap that religions left, and it says what well, we've found. You know, in kids and in, in in school and kindergarten, we're doing mindfulness techniques. I don't know if you know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kids in nurseries and schools, they're told to be mindful. But the reality is mindfulness creates very um, egotistical individuals because mindfulness is it, it, what it, all the research, this research done on this now, it's not even um, inconclusive, it's conclusive. Mindfulness techniques that modern society uses, and it's kind of a, a, a kind of offspring of Buddhism, is that it creates a very self-centered individual about mindfulness of their own self, and then they can do whatever they want outside that. Hmm. So basically, you do whatever you want, and you can trample over as many people as you want to get it. You just sit down and do your mindfulness techniques and feel happy about yourself and come out and then just go back. And what they find is that most people that engage in mindfulness end up being more egotistical, more self-centered, more oblivious of the effects of their actions than other people. And the thing about mm. taqwa, you know, the, the thing that people say about well, mindfulness was just taqwa. 
the whole point of it, um, you know, taqwa is that it, it puts in a, a responsibility on you to take into consideration the effect of your actions on other people and other things. Hmm. Hmm. It's completely different. You know, so hmm. that's more difficult. That's that's but, quite insightful. I mean, mindfulness to this day, uh, I've been thinking and we, we've been probably been kind of discussing amongst friends that it's something that is, has been missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like void of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you, but being mindful is not equal to being emotionally intelligent. No, I mean, mindfulness is being, just being aware of yourself. I think that's what mindfulness, I'm not going to say. But, but self-awareness, mindfulness is self-awareness, isn't it? Yeah, just being self-aware, self, self-assurance, self-awareness, being, you know, me time kind of thing as well. There's all these different things that tie into mindfulness, calming yourself down, being aware of yourself and your own feelings. But again, you know, when you get to that point of you're aware of your own feelings and your own existence and your own needs and your own benefits, then obviously you have to then balance that off with... You're neglecting over- something. Neglecting something, essentially. And the whole thing of religion was it was to create an, a sense of community responsibility and not Living just individuals that are, you know, individuals that are mindful of themselves and that's it, in bubbles of their own existence, outside the, the needs of family, friends, you know, you know, that's the whole thing about a, a family unit is that you can be mindful by yourself living in a plush, you know, you know, pad in London and, you know, you do your exercise, you go your work, you have your food, you have your, you know, um, mm. smoothies and you're mindful for, t- you know, do mindful, you know, kind of exercises, then you live and you'd live as a, a bubble. Mm. The moment you start, you know, pushing against other, other people or interacting and, you know, rubbing up p- people's egos and get the result of that, that's much more difficult. And the whole mm. point of religion was to get people to see how they can live in situations where it's difficult. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's important while we are content with ourselves to keep questioning um, the, the onslaught of these modern um, theories that we, we are bombarded with. All bombarded the time. with, but inadvertently accept. So the yeah. problem is that we inadvertently accept and embrace a lot of ideas and theories. Um, Which have come into being because of absence of religion. I mean, yeah, but I mean, religion has its problems, obviously, so that's a different thing. But the thing is, religion tried to address a bigger issue, which is how do we restrain and constrain individuals who live in societies in a way that is fair to everybody? And that's something that modern society is is nowhere near even attempting to answer. The closest thing it says is we have laws and don't cross laws. And you have pub, private space, you can do what you want, and that's it. The reality is that those those two things encroach on other people's rights, rights and spaces as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think modern society has not come anywhere close to that. And religion, the whole purpose of religion was to do that. And just ending the program on the note that Prophet Sallam's um, teachings of sacrifice is probably mm-hmm. what come to mind. Mm-hmm. You know, living... Uh, be, be, being aware of others' needs are at the fore of your own existence mm. instead of just focusing on your own. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The thing is that 
thing, but Islam specifically was the Prophet, you know, kind of focused on the fact that people should be concerned when I was talking about Medina Nawara being established as the city of the Prophet. One of the main things he started was Mu'akha, which was to create brotherhood and sisterhood between people that came as immigrants into society. The reason for that was what he himself practiced, he wanted it to be entrenched within a society, within a community. And so, you know, you know, that's the ultimate, you know, expansion and expression of servitude is to be of of aid and help to other people. Prasim said, Khairukum and Fa'akum Linnas, the best of you is the one that has most benefit for other people. And so the benefits that you give to other people and the and the degree to which you're you're at people's service is an indicator of your your proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the Prophet said, you know, that a generous person is close to Allah, close to Jannah, close to people and distant from Annar, fire. And a, a person who's miserly is, you know, distant from people, distant from paradise, distant from Allah, but close to hellfire. So this is like you know, instant thing, generosity and and miserliness, good character and bad character. They have proximities towards God and and distance from God in equal equal measure, and that's all from you know. That and if you think about the best of that, is the Prophet is saying himself he was sahi, he was the most generous of all people, and so he was the closest to God, closest to people as you saw in his life. You know, the, his his proximity to people were that he felt they felt that he was always. The one that loved them more than anybody else, so that was how close he was to people, and he was close to paradise, and most distant from God's wrath. And so, we, all we're asked to do is emulate the Prophet in that in that specific manner. We, we leave our listeners at the note. Uh, inshallah, we'll be back tomorrow with Sheikh Rizwan with some more reflections uh, on the ayahs of Surah Al-Rum. Uh, until then, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullah. Alaikum Assalam wa Rahmatullah. कोई तो है जो निजाम हस्ती चला रहा है वो ही खुदा है दिखाई भी जो न दे नजर Oh,